Hello there, it's Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Tuesday afternoon on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for joining us today. Coming up this afternoon, we are going to speak with Thomas Miles from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Big Brothers Big Sisters. Thomas is now going to be a mentor with this wonderful organization, uh, honorary spokesperson for the Big Brothers Big Sisters of Winnipeg and wants to issue a challenge to volunteers. So we'll have that conversation at 2 o'clock. And then at 2.30, ooh, we're going to talk about Google Street View. This is exciting. Yeah, I didn't Google. even know what we were doing there. Yeah. And I'm looking at the schedule like, oh, that's right. I, this, I forgot about this. Yeah, it's going to the backwoods. And we'll find out how they, oh. got, how they got all the information, all that visual evidence of what's going on in around Fort Ellis, the uh, area of western Manitoba. It's really kind of cool. <laughs> One of the funniest things about Google Street View uh, when they first launched it in Winnipeg a few years ago when I lived with my friend on uh, Ralston, it was his place, and we had these the couple of old neighbors, and when I say old, like I'm not being figurative, like they were in their 90s, and they were the they were the kind of people who were constantly keeping busy, I think just to, to stay, you know, active and keep, stay healthy, so they were always gardening, uh, if there was, if there was a light dusting of snow like if there was a snowflake they'd be outside sweeping their sidewalk so anyway on the google street view of his home was his uh was the woman who lived next door she was in his garden she had come over and was gardening no in his flower bed she, that's great she was fixing up his his own flower bed now that's now that's a neighbor that you would either love or hate right because there's a fine line there and i yeah i'm, I'm going to keep my mouth zipped on that one. I have a story I could tell, but I would out somebody that I like very much, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. Uh, that would be a fine line for me. Yeah. Right? I would be appreciative, and then at the same time, kind of like, can't I do my own gardening? <laughs> Apparently it wasn't good enough for her, but I, right. I think she was just trying to help, and, and to be honest, maybe it was just bored. I don't know. <laughs> the new Google Street View of Winnipeg is out now, and the boys Googled our house the other day, and sure enough, the car came down our street last summer. I painted our the front of our house. Yeah. I did it in about three or four different stages, and our house was half painted oh, no. for oh, a good two months or so because I was super busy here and didn't get around to finishing it till later in August, early in September. And sure enough, I've got a trailer full of junk that's on its way to the dump in the driveway, and my house is like a third painted when the Google car comes down my bay. Are you looking at it right now? No, no. Oh. <laughs> I just should, imagining no. it. No, yeah, I was just uh, pulling down some some scripts for later to, for Richard and Julie getting that done now, but I was imagining it. So, yep. so your house, which you worked so hard on, mm-hmm. uh, at least in the Google Street View, looks like garbage. Yep. yep. It looks like garbage for at least a year or maybe two. I don't know how often they redo these things. So I'm I'm considering uh, writing Google, like, could you redo our street this summer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they will. Probably not. I wonder how many off how many requests they get for that. I don't know. We should find out. Yeah. They have must have a media 
interaction or communications person. Yeah, they're, it's probably somebody who's going down a slide right now in the Google head going office. Going from floor three to <laughs> one. Yeah, we'll have to send that. That's pretty cool. So I was out of the studio for just a minute because I have to do certain things in order to make sure that I can share certain clips with listeners. I can listen to certain things at my desk, but I have to do something with them in order for us to play them for you here. And I hadn't done that. And we need this clip here because we want to talk about Ben Johnson is touting a quote unquote juiced up gambling site in Australia and he's getting criticism for it. Here's the uh, commercial. This is Ben Johnson, 88 games, 100 meter gold medalist. Hi, I am Ben Johnson. 88 games, 100 meter gold medalist. When it comes to performance enhancement, Ben really knows his stuff, which is why he's happy to endorse Sportsbet's new juiced up Android app. It's new. This thing is a hit with performance enhancement experts all over the world. Everyone's on it. Take your Shin Sportsbet app, sure, Fei Chang Kwai. It's like you say, very powerful stuff. It's been secretly developed to deliver lightning fast results. It tested positive for speed and power again and again. With scientific stuff injected into its back end. In bottom. In fact, it's chock full of new features to give you an unfair advantage. More speed, more power, and extra gear. Even the download time is faster at a record-breaking 10 seconds. Faster if you cut a few corners. It's endorsed by all the experts. Sportsbet's new cutting-edge feature-injected Android app puts the Roid in Android. Get it? They put the Roid in Android? Download it now from Sportsbet. Like anabolic steroids. Mm -hmm. Stanazinol as an example, perhaps. It might have been found in the bloodstream or the urine stream of one Ben Johnson, which cost him an Olympic gold medal. And... So this is, some people are really put off by this. It doesn't bother me in the least. 29 years, and I mentioned when we were talking with uh, Jeff Courier, Brett, the idea that there were uh, seven other people in that race, and all but one has some tie to drugs or performance enhancement. Uh, The answer is two out of the uh, remaining seven. So I apologize if I inadvertently accused one other person of (laughs) cheating in that race. Uh, Robson Da Silva, the Brazilian who finished fifth, he um, has never been linked to drugs. He now works as a television commentator in Brazil. And who's the other guy that didn't get, oh, I think it's Dennis Mitchell. Dennis Mitchell went on to win two world championship golds before testing. Nope, not Dennis Mitchell. Desai Williams of Canada. An inquiry set up after the games found that Williams had been supplied with steroids. Nope, not Desai Williams. Ben Johnson, (laughs) Calvin Johnson. Oh, here we go. The only sprinter to finish in the original top five who never tested positive for drugs. Smith was inducted in the U.S. Track and Field Hall of Fame in 2007 and is now a social worker. Linford Christie, Great Britain. Yeah, failed two drug tests. Carl Lewis, as mentioned, the U.S. uh, OC covered up three failed drug test for him leading up to 1988. And in fact, I have an article where he admits that he did it. 
And, uh, oh, well, sorry, uh, that's just the way it goes because the IOC will not go back and take that uh, medal from him. And the other runner in that race was Ray Stewart from Jamaica. Yeah, he should have been taking uh, – oh, yeah, he did. Uh, he finished eighth. He finished with a time of 12.26, went on to become the leading coach but was charged by U.S. track and field for allegedly trafficking banned substances to uh, athletes and was banned from the sport for life in 2010. Well, I think that uh, – I think that last one, Ray Stewart, he he came up limp. I think he oh, see yes, that's right. sort of backing off. But Jeff Courier's point was <clears throat> that there are some things that there is no statute of limitations, and he talked about how the Ben Johnson incident cut very deep, and it was a, a blight, a scar on our nation. I So in 1988, I would have been nine. I remember I was at my Auntie Val's place. I think, and there was <laughs> we we ordered pizza if memory serves. Pizza Hut had their five bucks, five bucks, five bucks deal. So we all it was a Saturday night. We gathered to watch the Ben Johnson event, and of course I was ecstatic when he won. And then I remember there were Ben Johnson milk commercials. I believe he was a spokesperson for milk, much like GSP George Saint Pierre is a spokesperson right now. And when the news broke, so that was on September 24th, 88, when uh, the news broke on the 27th that he had been stripped of the medal. I was devastated. Oh, I was too, man. I was too. And, but I, I am in your boat on this. I think this is hilarious. I thought it was hilarious 10 years ago, in uh, 11, I guess it was 2006, when he was hawking for this energy drink called Cheetah. Oh, I actually have an example of such things. Today on our show, we have Ben Johnson. How are you, Ben? Put your cards on the table. Uh, Ben, when you run, do you cheetah? Absolutely. I cheetah all the time. (laughs) Such an actor. Power Surge Energy Drink, an all natural source of energy without caffeine. My son. There are many roads to find This is kind of a cut secret take to the off? energy of life. Okay. If you can snatch the pebble like from my hand. Sort of thing. Did you cheat on my son? Absolutely. I cheat all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Cheetah Power Surge Caffeine Free Energy Drink. An all natural source of energy with Chinese ginseng and royal jelly. Now also available in diet and high octane with ginkgo biloba. So there, there is the uh, cheetah commercials from just a you know a handful of years after the 88 games in Seoul and now here we are 29 years removed from that and in some circles this is being uh, frowned upon and some people are bothered by Ben Johnson and by the way in that commercial there's a Lance Armstrong like character when you hear people chanting USA USA yep. there's a guy in a yellow cycling jersey on a bike <laughs> who's riding very quickly Guys in the background on bikes chanting USA, USA. There's a Russian weightlifter type and a Chinese female swimmer type. Also in the commercial, uh, Ben Johnson is the only one that is named by name and is endorsing this product. And uh, by the way, net worth comparables between Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson. Carl Lewis is worth about $20 million. Ben Johnson's estimated net worth right now, about $2 million. You know what, Ben? Go out and get all the money you can on this one. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with him making a buck off of this. Yeah, he, he disgraced himself and disgraced our country, but he, as, I mean, he got, he was the one who got caught. Well, and he was the champion. Yeah, he was the one who got caught. He was the champ, and he, I don't know. I think he's, he's done his time, so to speak. Oh, I and would I say have no he's problem with. Time. I think he, if he that he can go appear in these commercials with a smile on his face and uh, make a pay or get, make a buck, good for him. But what do you think? Are you in agreement with Jeff Courier, who says that there is no statute of limitations on something like this? There is no joking around about this incident the ben johnson disgrace where he had his medal taken away now he's in this commercial for an australian sports betting app it's very tongue-in-cheek and he is talking about how it puts the roid in android greg and i think it's hilarious But what do you think about it? Even if you don't agree with the message, it's a great ad. It really is. It's very well done. And on his wall, he's got these framed achievements, all of which are sort of bastardized in a certain way. He's got a a medal with, you know, you get the ribbon around for wearing it around your neck. And he's got just basically about a three millimeter gold circle with a (laughs) hole in the middle that he's got framed hanging on his wall. It's very tongue in cheek. It's very well done and acknowledges is the things that you would expect it to acknowledge, and I think it's uh, brilliant marketing and absolutely hilarious. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is also the number to text, and you can email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Is it okay to joke about this, to joke about Ben Johnson? Is it okay for Ben Johnson to be making money in a tongue-in-cheek fashion, off of the fact that he was a cheat in the Olympics. 204-780-6868. Your forecast is next. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Tuesday afternoon. A little wet out there, depending on where you are. The roads are wet. I think the rain has stopped in around Polo Park. But uh, it is a wet day. Uh, The irony of our conversation yesterday highlighted in an accident on the perimeter at St. Mary's Road this morning, an eastbound pickup truck pulling utility trailer was rear-ended and an SUV, which had come to a stop as numerous geese were crossing the highway. No injuries reported and the matter is being investigated by our traffic services unit who currently remain at the scene. That was a little while ago this morning. I printed that off uh, simply because we were talking about that yesterday and the idea that it can be super unsafe at times to stop for wildlife uh, highlighted just this morning on the uh, perimeter highway. Talking about Ben Johnson and this sports betting app. He's now in a in a commercial for an Australian sports betting app. It's very tongue-in-cheek and it makes no uh, attempts to hide the fact that he was... I mean, it highlights the fact that he was the winner very briefly... Or of the gold medal. <laughs> they even say hash, a little uh, asterisk, uh, 48 hours. Yeah, 1988 100-meter gold medal winner for 48 hours. And uh, it, it makes lines like, puts the roid and android. It's all very funny, and we wanted to know what you thought about this. Is it okay to joke about the fact that he was at one point in 1988 a national disgrace? Here we are 30 years later. He's making a, a buck off of it. He's actually been making money off of it for a while now. He was in... 
used to be a spokesperson for Cheetah, the energy drink Cheetah, because when he runs, he likes to Cheetah. So wanted to know what you thought about this. We're getting some text messages here. And one of them says, if the world can have the Kardashians making money for being a waste of skin. Wow. Ben Johnson can make money for a mistake he made 30 years ago. He's not making fun of our country. He's making fun of himself, something we've done for decades. Who cares? He disgraced himself. Not me. Go for the money. The gold is long gone. Do you remember how huge he was when he was in the blocks? If he didn't fail, something was wrong with the testing. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Good for him and who cares? I think the whole Olympic Games are a sham. It seems like who can cheat the best and not get caught. And we actually got... Uh, a, a reference and a suggestion to read the book by Charlie Francis, who was Ben Johnson's coach. Speed Trap is the name of the book. That was published in 1991. I don't know if the Dubbin Inquiry had actually released all its results by then. So there's Charlie Francis capitalizing on his role mm-hmm. in the you know in this disaster, this nat- national disgrace. Uh, but Ben Johnson, of course. He paid the ultimate price more than anybody in this entire thing. Some people would say rightfully so. Mm, I don't know. I think uh, Ben Johnson has been unfairly uh, unfairly treated over the years, uh, as we highlighted. He was only uh, uh, one of the handful of sprinters in that final who had subsequently had ties to performance-enhancing drugs, including the gold medalist. The IOC at the time would not go back and take away Carl Lewis's gold medal because even though Lewis admits that he took drugs, the IOC wouldn't go back on it because of a statute of limitations of doing so. Yeah, Lewis says there were hundreds of people getting off. Everyone was treated the same. This is Carl Lewis talking about how pretty much not everybody, but a lot of people were getting uh, were were getting away with it. They were all doing the drugs or they were all on the performance and answers. They got away with it. Ben Johnson just happened to get caught. So thank you so much for your feedback. Also on the subject of books, very quickly, I'll just point uh, to another one here. There's one while we were looking into this. There's a book called The Dirtiest Race in History by Richard Moore. Looks like this was written in 2012. So if you're interested in the subject, you might want to look that up. Global News at 1.30 is up next. Craig Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. It's 1.33, 1.34. On this Tuesday afternoon, feels like a Wednesday for me. I'm not going to be here on Friday. Oh it's, yes, you're you're busy. It's my midweek. It's my it's the middle of my week. Once we're done the program today, so is it uh, Tristan Field Jones sitting in my chair on Friday? That is correct. Fantastic. I've got a remote for uh, the Tri Hospital Lottery in the morning, and then I'm going to take the afternoon off. I was supposed to go golfing, but that has now fallen through. I'm not happy about it. Nor should you be. No. Now I'm going to have to do chores at my house. That sounds like a dreadful alternative. Yes, to get ready for the May long weekend. Um, Winnipeg has uh, really found its place in the world of movie making and filmmaking. Hollywood has, I guess, fallen in love with us on a couple of different fronts. Not only the quality of our crews, the diversity of the scenery that they can uh, take advantage of, but also that... Fantastic tax credit probably doesn't hurt too much. But there was a time when Winnipeg wasn't necessarily embracing this idea. Do you remember the film Legends of the Fall? Yes. With Brad Pitt. Grossed over $160 million U.S. million. They were going to film a good chunk of that movie in Winnipeg. 
But the city fathers at the time said no to cutting down trees that were not super mature in the exchange district that were going to be replaced. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they took the production to Vancouver and to Alberta. (laughs) Okay. That was 1993, Legends of the Fall. And that was a misstep that we seem to have corrected. But this boom in the movie industry that's been taking place over the last decade and a half, almost two decades now, could have started a few years earlier if we'd had some foresight. And I just wanted to talk about the idea of uh, Capote, probably the most famous film, most successful, Brett, that was made in Manitoba? Um, oh, you know what? I'd, I'd have to look up the actual box office in terms of commercial success, but I would think as far as uh, critical success goes, Capote would have to be at the top. You know, it, it was nominated for multiple awards. It was an Oscar-winning film, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, winning the Academy Award for Best Actor for his uh, acclaimed portrayal of the title character, Truman Capote, uh, which was a biographical film from 2005 following the events during the writing of Capote's non-fiction, non-fiction book, pardon me, In Cold Blood. There are other great movies. I know that uh, you are particularly, well, we're both particularly excited about a film called The Lookout, and uh, that one starred Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think you have audio for that one, do I not? do, I do indeed. Let's start at the end. Can't tell a story if you don't know where it's going. Now that's the end. Now what happened before that? Once upon a time, I had the perfect life. Yeah, so as you mentioned, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you may also recognize the voice of Jeff Daniels, and uh, Isla Fisher is in that film, and Brett's uh, favorite cast member, Carla Gugino? 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 Yeah, she's... uh... Stunning. She's a good-looking dame. <laughs> so that film was filmed uh, a little bit in Winnipeg and in Hartney, Manitoba. It was, what, about a $16 million production? And at the time, Miramax Films was touting this as a big film but didn't do super well at the box office in spite of, like, it's got an 87% Rotten Tomato score. It was The marketing for the film was awful. Uh, the trailer was bad. The, the TV commercials were bad. And they were slim. Like, the lo- movies need to be marketed heavily to be a success, especially smaller ones like this. And it just wasn't, which is a shame because it's such a good movie. Yeah, I'm just looking at its at the box office, uh, five point three million dollars worldwide. My word! So I th- that's that's that. Didn't you say it was the lowest grossing major film of that year? I think in terms of where is it now? What is it? Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh, I don't even see it here on the 2007 list, so uh, I'd have to go back. And, but I think in terms of major releases, yeah. I, I think it, it may have very well been the lowest, or if not one of the lowest, the lowest. If you've not seen this film, you really need to see it. And another film that uh, we're hoping that you'll see is uh, by our friend Andrew McRae. He's here to talk about his new short film called Knocked Over. We can only play about 15 seconds of it because this is as much audio as uh, Andrew's given us. But the bottom line is, uh, based on the 15 seconds, I want to see the other 945 of this short film. Let's do it. What, like rob a gas bar? Yeah, anything. 
It's got to be easier than robbing a bank. All these places, most of them only have one employee working. There's two of us. So Andrew McRae, uh, the lookout, of course, focuses around a bank robbery. And uh, your short film focuses on uh, a, a couple that meet one another and decide that robbing a bank is too difficult, so they select a different target. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a one-night stand that they hook up for, and uh, it's after, after the bar one night. And on the way home, uh, they kind of get on the topic about movies and how cool bank robberies look, and they think, like, you know, we should, we should do this, but there's no banks open at 2 a.m., so they, they go for the next best, best thing, which is fast food restaurants and gas bars. So they're, they, they meet at the bar, they, they decide they're going to hook up, and on the way home, where they're going to commit to the act of hooking up, yeah. they decide to stop that and rob something. It, like, I won't ruin the ending. Uh, like, the, the basic A to B plot works out, but, uh, but yeah, it's a tangent where they just, you know, they're, they're driving home and they, they take the little uh, exits on each side and kind of just, you know, do the crime. Now, the reason we talked about the lookout and Capote and the whole pre- preface of the idea of the, the film uh, making world really loving Manitoba right now, what got you into filmmaking? Um, I've always just loved movies uh, from a very young age, loved going to the cinema. I still try to go at least once or twice a month, which I, I think is a lot compared to what people are doing today. Um, I just love the experience of the big screen and, you know, seeing these images come to life. Now, the equipment that was you used for this film, uh, Knocked Over, was provided to you by, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you in, because one, our very own Hal Anderson had the gear that you used. How did that come about? Uh, well, Hal and I were talking about, and we're still talking about making some short kind of documentary people story uh, based on real life and interviewing people. And... Uh, and in our discussions, I just said, would you consider doing fiction? And he said, well, well like, what are you thinking? And I, uh, I sent him the script, and he loved it. He sent it to his cinematographer, and uh, they put up the money and the equipment to, to do this. So essentially, Hal Anderson is the producer of this venture. Yes, we, uh, we sent all the bills to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I don't know if Hal's listening right now, but congratulations, Hal. This is uh, uh, and- Andrew is a former colleague of ours here at 680 CJOB, and there's not a person in this building that doesn't like you and the way you go about doing your business. So this is, this is a strong endorsement. Talk about uh, the production uh, schedule and how did you go about making this film? Well, uh, it was it was speaking of Winnipeg being on film. Winnipeg was supposed to be a bit of a character in this, and uh, and particularly it was supposed to be winter time. But the melt came kind of early this year, and like five days before we started shooting, all the snow was gone. Oh shoot! So uh, so we kind of worked around that a little bit, um, but still kind of got that cold kind of vibe to it. And uh, and yeah, we just want to show Winnipeg that that you know that nighttime side, that kind of noir side uh i mean our city just it like the new street lights even just give this like really cool kind of look to everything and uh and yeah so that's like winnipeg was supposed to be a character in it it's cool. interesting we've asked that question before right brett and in, uh interviews past about this idea of winnipeg becoming a character in terms of the way it's known and the fact that it can play itself in in certain scenes of tv shows and and different movies um the, the snow melting. 
So what time were you, when did you start shooting this? Because was it around the time that Nomus was in town shooting their movie? It was actually around that time. It was uh, the first week of April. So it was uh, the second, third, and fifth or something like that. And uh, so we did the whole film in those three days. And, uh, and like the schedule worked out perfectly. There was a lot of planning before we actually got out there. It took about a month to plan everything. Um, and then it took about a m- like from that first week of April to Sunday, a couple days ago, to actually finish editing and getting it all together and fine tuning it. That's actually a fairly quick turnaround for yeah. a, a film. A ten minute film does not take. For, maybe for those who are unfamiliar with the process of editing, because I, I think that when you think about oh, a thirty second commercial, for example, well. You know, don't you just go out and shoot 30 seconds or whatever and take a few, a few minutes to put it together? No, it's actually a fairly painstaking process. So how many hours of tape did you have? Well, so we filmed for about, uh, so it was getting dark around 7 or 8 p.m. Uh, around then. So we filmed from 7 or 8 p.m. to midnight over those four days. So about 12 hours of shooting, I think, in total. And then we had to take all that footage and uh, and, and trim it down because there were multiple takes of, each scene and we had to move the camera several times to get different angles different angles give a kind of a different vibe uh if you're like looking up at someone they kind of look more powerful and so we needed to consider that and uh, and then you have to pace it well so that you're not just like line 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 there's there's some breaks between it so it's more natural and and people have a chance to actually kind of f- like figure out what's going on and feel what's going on um and then you have to make sure that like when you're cutting between each take that it's seamless that when a hand is moving it moves the same way and everything like that so that's really what gobbles up a lot of time near the end how about the chemistry between the main characters how critical is that i think it's uh i think it's pretty important the two actors hadn't actually met each other before we started filming it was uh like i knew both of them autumn who plays uh the zella she went to high school with me 12 years ago at kelvin and uh and so I just kind of, we, we started talking again more regularly because I moved away and we lost touch. And um, I just kind of thought she'd be perfect for the role. And Nolan, I went to creative communications with and uh, kind of thought that they'd fit together. And luckily it did. They didn't meet until they sat down in the car for the first time. Andrew McRae is our guest. Wow. He is the, he is a Winnipeg writer and now director. He's releasing his first short film tonight. It's called Knocked Over. It will be streaming for free. Our very own Hal Anderson provided the gear to make the film. And uh, you may also know Andrew, by the way, as founder of the Smashed Window Club River Heights. And you may also remember, as Greg mentioned, that he worked here at 680 CJOB. We'll carry on our chat about Knocked Over and about film in Winnipeg, film in general, after uh, your forecast, which is up next. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Uh, We were talking about The Lookout, the movie that was shot in Winnipeg and in Hartney, Mountain. Manitoba back in 2006 and how it did very poorly in the box office for that year it was 182nd Ouch. for North America at least with uh, 4.6 million dollars not far ahead of another film that was shot in Winnipeg the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford which made 3.9 million dollars do you remember that now is that one of the films they ended up 
turning the exchange district into like downtown Kansas City circa 1800 and something yes. yeah. with all the dirt and everything yep. it only made 3 million dollars 3.9 it was a dread it was My so boring gosh it was boring wow Andrew McCready, would you agree with that did you see that film i actually haven't seen it okay well, yeah don't don't You're waste three hours i guess yeah, don't waste 3 hours <laughs> andrew mccray is our guest he is a winnipeg writer Director, uh, now a director, of a short film, his first short film being released tonight. It's called Knocked Over. It will be streaming free starting tonight. Our very own Hal Anderson provided some of the gear to make this film. Andrew, uh, where did your love of films come from? You've kind of had uh, an involvement in the movie industry for a long time. I've, uh, I've always just loved going to the movies. My very first movie was Beauty and the Beast. Uh, back in the early 90s, and uh, I just fell in love with the experience back then, and I, I go to the cinema regularly now. So, um, like, my mom has even shown me a drawing from when I was in kindergarten, and I drew the old St. Vitel cinema, oh, just nice. the front of it, because I loved going there. And uh, and so it's just, like, one of those things that kind of got buried in a box, and then we find out later, like, it's been there kind of all along. Um, so, I, I like, I... Loved movies, and when I came time to get my first job, I started working in movie theaters and worked my way up to being a projectionist, where I actually got to handle thirty-five millimeter film all day, and uh, and then became an assistant manager at the Odeon Drive-in in its last couple of years, and uh, went back to Polo Park to finish being a projectionist, and then film went out, and it all went digital, and uh, that's kind of what happened to the job. The job essentially disappeared. Is that right? Yeah, Andrew, yeah, they don't. Like- uh, they don't have projectionists anymore. So what is somebody just press play? Not even. It just does it itself. You they turn the power be... on in the morning and the computer just runs all the auditoriums and they just lock the door at the end of the day. Now, anyone who calls it the cinema to this day gets mad props from me. So mad props to you for calling it cinema still. But that's that's kind of sad to imagine that it's all computer oriented and, and delivered. It is because uh, like film, I, I, I love the... The opportunities that digital provides, I mean, we were able to make this film using a 4K camera, which is four times the resolution of a current movie screen. You have four times as many pixels filling it. So it's very sharp. It's very high def. And the gear is becoming extremely affordable. I I think it's only a matter of time before our cell phones are capturing video like that. So it's very accessible to anybody. Uh, but just because it's successful doesn't mean that people are going to be able to start making these great films. It's all about great stories to start with. Now, and, you used to work here. You now work for uh, your your day job, to quote unquote, is with MyToba, right? Yes. So you was your film at all inspired by some of the news stuff that you've done over the years? I, I definitely like to do some creative nonfiction where I build uh, real news stories in, but I change a lot of details. This wasn't inspired particularly by any crime that I've covered or, or followed. Um, it's more that uh, like people, I, I want to know what drives people to, to rob a bank or to rob a a gas station because you always see those signs that say like there is no cash in the till from 11 to 7 and yet they always get hit you know at 2 in the morning and and I just have to wonder like why do people take the risk when and when a robbery carries jail time and stuff like that I know I know it's not easy to put reasoning behind that there probably isn't reasoning but like what actually drives people to rob a place when you're going to make 20 bucks maybe some cigarettes and and that's it 
There's an interesting part of the filmmaking process, and that's the research that goes into it in order to tell the story that's multi-layered like that. Yeah, you definitely want to write what you know. Uh, it's it's way easier, and I feel like my stories are uh, way more genuine when I when I write what I know. I've written a story about a radio news reporter um, and stuff like that. So, uh, and, and same kind of gritty thing where he's working overnights and kind of covering crime in this in this really dangerous place. So, I mean, that stuff comes way more naturally. It's way easier to write, and and people connect to it more than you know if I was to write some kind of children's story or princess story or you know some some kind of cartoon or something have you written any stories about a vigilante hunting the those who smash car windows in uh, <laughs> various neighborhoods in Winnipeg I haven't but maybe maybe that's next we're, <laughs> we're looking what to follow this up with so so knocked over is going to be streaming free starting tonight where can people watch this film online uh, just search for knocked over on Facebook or you can go to facebook.com slash knocked over and right at 7 p.m it'll be out uh, and you'll be able to watch it for free and will we get the appreciation of this 4K digital production? I, I think so. It, it just, um, it's a, this camera gives a very film-like look and film is very organic in the way it captures light and everything. So there's definitely a very big difference between what you would normally see from digital and and what's shot on film. So I think you will definitely feel the character of what we captured with this camera. I want to play the tease again. Uh, I know we won't run over out, out of time by me playing it because it's exactly 15.7 uh, seconds long. Let's do it. What, like rob a gas bar? Yeah, anything. It's got to be easier than robbing a bank. All these places, most of them only have one employee working. There's two of us. Oh, where'd you get this music? Uh, just licensed it off a free music, or not a free music site, but we, we paid a low licensing cost. And uh, I actually saw it on just a random, like, fact video on YouTube. Uh, I was playing, had this music behind it with like text over all these bizarre images. And I thought it would be perfect because I wanted something that was fun, but also kind of serious. Yeah, it kind of had that like kind of getting down to business sort of sound to it. Yeah. <laughs> Knocked Over is the name of the film. Andrew McRae is the writer and director. He's also our former colleague and our pal. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Coming up to 2 o'clock on 680 CJOB. 2.05 Tuesday afternoon. I'm Greg. He's Brett. We're going to shift gears a little bit here. Thanks for all the text messages and uh, some of the emails as well about the films that are made in Manitoba. Uh, our good friend Bob reminded me, K-19, the Widowmaker. Yep. They recreated that submarine coming up through the ice on Lake Winnipeg up near Gimli. That was kind of cool. And then uh, I found a website. I don't know why I didn't find it earlier that lists some of the movies that you might not realize that were filmed here. And uh, some of it has to do with special effects, but The Lookout is on there. Uh, Goon is on there. And of course, Shall We Dance might have been you know, one of the bigger, we mentioned Capote as one of the largest, uh, maybe most popular films. Shall We Dance was not a very good film, but it, it did okay, I guess, in, in the theater. Goon is on this list. Heaven is for Real, The Lookout, as we mentioned, Wild Cherry, and uh, some of the special effects and some smaller scenes for the Italian job. I'm going to have to dig into this because I'd never, ever heard of that before. Speaking of... Uh, homegrown talent and things that are from Manitoba. We are going to welcome uh, into the studio Thomas Miles. He is a brand new member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but it would be, I would say, 
Uh, very simple to call it Destiny that uh, Thomas returns to uh, Winnipeg's University of Manitoba product. He was drafted by the Toronto Argonauts, 33rd overall in the 2014 CFL draft, and in fact was a member of the U of M Bisons, the team that won the very first game, football game, at IGF because the Blue Bombers uh, failed to win. I think it was their first five home games, and the Bisons won their first, very first home regular season game at IGF. So, Thomas, welcome home, and great to have you in the studio today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me here. So you are here because you are the honorary spokesperson for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Winnipeg, and we're also joined by the Manager of Development and Marketing for that organization, Matt Diubaldo. And Thomas, how did your relationship with the Big Brothers, Big Sisters come into being? I reached out a couple months ago. It was a program that I'd wanted to join for a couple years, but obviously with leaving for Toronto for half the year, it was kind of difficult to establish a you know, working relationship there. So it was really one of the first things I checked off when I signed with Winnipeg was uh, reach out to Big Brothers, Big Sisters and see how I could get involved. We'll just get you to come a little bit closer to that mic if we could, Mr. Miles. And (laughs) why specifically that organization? You say it was something that you had to do really as part of Winnipeg. Yeah, I've got a soft spot for kids. Uh, My mom worked with kids. She was a teacher and uh, head of resource in elementary schools. And uh, through that, I got involved with some different mentoring uh, through Food Allergy Canada and I've got a peanut allergy, and so I do some work with them. And uh, the next step kind of seemed to be with Big Brothers Big Sisters because you can really get um, kind of hands-on and develop a really strong relationship with a kid who's looking for a positive role model. You know, we, we talk so much uh, about sport and the value of sport for young people, but I think uh, sport ties directly to mentorship because I think what we get out of sport, and I mean is there a better coach anywhere on the planet than Brian Doby at the University <laughs> of Manitoba? I mean, uh, to me, uh, Brian Doby, we've had this conversation for years. He's not only growing athletes and football players, but but young men and those that want to be involved in the community like you are, Thomas. So just talk about mentorship and the value of mentorship, whether it's in sport or somewhere else. I was fortunate uh, to be surrounded by strong role models and a lot of love growing up and that's from childhood through adolescence and as a young adult and that's from family from family friends from my strength coaches at mcdowell's gym um to u of m bisons and onward and um that's something that you often take for granted is uh, having people to look up to and give you guidance and help you out when you're a little lost and so given the opportunity to provide that for someone else i'm uh I'm happy to take advantage of that. So you are issuing a challenge, so to speak, to try to get people to volunteer. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. So right now there are over 100 kids on the Big Brother Winnipeg or Big Brothers Big Sisters Winnipeg list. Um, my So I matched up with a little brother now and he had been on the list for two years. Uh, kids who need role models shouldn't have to wait that long, right? I mean, Um, the way it works is the kid expresses the interest in big brothers, big sisters, uh, and the parent does as well. And so if they're expressing the need for a mentor or a role model at perhaps a critical time of their life, they shouldn't have to wait. So we're, uh, we're hoping to get some new volunteers out and kind of cut down on that wait list. 
Well, we, we meet a lot of people every single day, and you can tell that there are people who are figurehead spokespeople for certain things. You are not. You are fully engaged in this, Thomas. Uh, the, first of all, congratulations and thank you for that. But uh, it is very genuine, the fact that uh, this is something that you want people to get involved with. Uh, Matt, how fortunate are you at Big Brothers Big Sisters Manitoba to come into contact and get engaged with a young man like Thomas Miles? Uh, at the risk of sounding a little gushy. It's kind of a dream come true. I mean, he's been very accessible and very humble and very uh, interested in helping us out in any way that I can. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying working with Thomas so far and looking forward to seeing what we can do for the kids. A hundred kids waiting for a big brother or sister here in Winnipeg. That seems like a lot. Is it a lot or is that typical? Um, you know, as a former big brother, I think um, I agree with Thomas. I don't think any kid should have to wait. So yeah, it is a lot. It's too much. Um, hundred, I think it's 104 is the exact number. 80% of those kids are boys. Um, so we really need a few good men to step up, um, make the time commitment. It's, it's a couple of hours a week. Um, the schedule can be flexible. And um, by volunteering for these kids, um, you do fun things with them every week and and you make a difference in their life. Yeah, talk about how that relationship works. How is it fostered? What are some of the things that you can do? And, I mean, Thomas is training. He's a professional football player. Lots of strains on his time. And are you studying and completing your MBA as well? Yeah, I started that this winter. Oh, congratulations. So, I mean, you know, here's an example of a guy who's super busy. Uh, Just give us an example of really how it works. Um, it, it all starts with the application process to really get to know the mentor and the mentee. Um, finding um, commonalities between the two provides a good uh, foundation for a relationship. So, for example, Thomas and his little brother, um, they both like to play football and they both like to work out. So they've got that foundation to build that relationship on. Um, but the mentoring relationship is about um, being a consistent presence in that child's life and just being their cheerleader and being their friend. And as a result, what happens is, is the kids realize that they, they can uh, chase dreams and they can, you know, uh, do things that maybe they didn't think that they would be able to do before um, just by having that foundation and that support behind them. Thomas, the uh, the young person that you've been matched up with, uh, sports fan? He plays football, yeah. It's great. So he's in high school right now and uh, he's a football player and he is, uh, he's getting big. He's like six foot six, 240. You know, so, uh, yeah, hey, real, little I, brother. I already told him, I already told him, give it a year and I'm going to be calling Brian Doby for him. So, <laughs> oh my God, that's, that's spectacular. Yeah. And, and that's just a testament to the job that big brothers, big sisters does at matching you with the right kid, you know? So, um, they, they do what they can to make sure that it's going to be a seamless, uh, a seamless match. And how old is this, this kid? He just turned 15, I think. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you said 6'6", 240? Oh, yeah, he's a big fella. Oh, my God. I'm having a hard time sort of processing that information. <laughs> I was a big kid, but, uh, and then you're, you know, you're a big guy, but it, was it intimidating when you, you know, because I would imagine you went in with expectation of maybe being paired up with someone much smaller and then to go, <laughs> hello, and have to look way up. Uh, well, being a football player, I'm used to being, uh, you know, dwarfed by the offensive linemen of the CFL. I mean, the average tackle's got to be six foot five, so used to that. Well, the, the, it's uh, exciting to to be here and to to share this story and to to realize that 104 kids are, are waiting for this mentorship. And, and that, you know, that number is based on them speaking up and saying, hey, 
I need this, I'd like this. So we know that the number of, of kids that could benefit from this type of relationship are is much, much larger. Uh, Matt, for those that might be, never mind thinking about volunteering and being a big brother, a big sister, what about on the other side? Those that might think that, you know, ah, I've got a kid, I've got someone in my life, maybe this would be beneficial. What's the criteria there? Um. <clears throat> You know, I always tell people when when they they present those sort of um, obstacles to me that that it, um, it's about how much you want to give to your community. Um, a lot of people say, "Well, I have kids, I don't have time." Well, um, the fact is, people who have kids are great role models because they're already with kids every day. So, if you can spend a couple of hours a week with uh, with a kid who needs it, um, it benefits everybody. Um, a lot of doubts that we get, uh, people don't think they have anything to offer. You don't really know what you have to offer until you dive in and, and try. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Before I signed up to be a big brother, I had tons of doubts because what do I have to offer a kid? But uh, you know, now my little brother's 22 and I have a great relationship with him. He's going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Um, I learned a lot about myself simply by taking that leap and trying. How old was he when you first met him? He was 11. Um, he was a Maple Leafs fan. I didn't hold that against him. Um, <laughs> now he's 22 and, you know, he, he wanted to be an airline pilot or uh, Air Force pilot, excuse me, when uh, when I first met him and, and he's well on his way. He's in he's in basic training. He's he's going to do what he wanted to do. Um, you know, I don't take credit for for his success, but I know that our relationship played a played a part in that for him. And there, um, there, there is a formal point where you sort of stop becoming, was it a graduation process or how, what is it, what do you call it? Yeah, the, I mean, as far as our agency is concerned, the, the, the match is formally over when the child turns 18, they're an adult. Um, but uh, a lot of those relationships, like I say, they just last, they just go on for the rest of their lives. So you're friends, at, essentially, at this yeah. point? Yeah, okay. he's, well, he's my little brother. I talk about him like he's my little brother. He's not my blood relative, but... But, uh, you know, I sent him a birthday card and every time he comes to town, we we hang out and we do fun things together just like we did when he was a kid. How do you get uh, the younger ones, the little brothers, the little sisters involved? How do we how do we encourage those people to get involved in your organization? Um, all the information, whether you want to be a mentor or, uh, you know, you want a big brother or big sister for your kid, it's all on bigwinnipeg.com. Um, all kinds of useful information, how to get your application started. There's an FAQ section. You can also uh, reach out to any one of our staff who uh, many of us are former bigs and littles ourselves. So, um, you know, we can talk to the professional side or the personal side of, of this agency. Matt Diubaldo is the Manager of Development and Marketing with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Winnipeg and Winnipeg Blue Bomber Thomas Miles is the Honorary Spokesperson for Big Brothers Big Sisters and we're going to continue our chat, maybe talk a little bit of football after your forecast which is up next. Keeping our fingers crossed that the uh, forecast for the long weekend holds, I'm not going to tell you what it is because it changes on a hourly basis. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you and uh, we're talking about Big Brothers and Big Sisters in this half hour. Blue Bomber Thomas Miles is the honorary spokesperson for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Winnipeg. He is issuing a challenge to you to volunteer. Matt Diubaldo is here as well. He is the manager of development and marketing with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Winnipeg. Now, Thomas, you just got back in town recently from from helping out in another sort of initiative uh, to improve the lives of kids. What was that? So I've been training at McDowell's gym. It's now called Midtown Barbell, but I've been there since grade 10. That's almost a decade now. Um, and so Chris McDowell and Dave Beakley, the head strength coach there, have been going up north to Nelson House 
um, and uh, helping kids work out there. And they've set up a gym. And they've been trying to get Evan Gill, the Tie Cats, and me uh, to get up there. And plans kind of kept falling through. And we finally got it done this past week. And so uh, we went up there. We brought Mo Leggett along. And uh, we had the first inaugural uh, Explode 313 uh, football camp at Nelson House. And it was awesome. The kids were fantastic. It was just uh, smiles all around for the whole week. So we had a blast. Uh, Matt, there's something special about exposing kids that they might otherwise not be exposed to. There is. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, part of the mentoring relationship as well is experiencing new things and doing it with somebody together. And you really get to share that and it strengthens the bond as well. Um, Explores, exposes you to new opportunities. So I bet you some of those kids are going to be lifelong football players as a result of uh, Thomas and his friends. You know, I can remember the old uh, velodrome right Across Ullman's Creek here, it was where the Montana's restaurant is now. And I grew up in the West End and we would come and we would work out with Kevin Nealis and James Murphy of the Blue Bombers way back in the mid 80s. And they would show us different drills to do and to work on our footwork and that sort of thing. We were high school football players. They had zero obligation to do anything with us, but they always took the time with us. Well, now here we are 30 years later. James Murphy is one of my neighbors. And so so, you know, that idea of community, and we mentioned Mo Leggett, man. There's a guy who might as well have been born in Winnipeg because he is a Winnipegger, Manitoba now through and through. Yeah, he won't escape. He's he's, <laughs> he's going to be a, a Winnipeg lifer for sure. <laughs> he's one of those. Something special about guys like that. Yeah, well, and something special about Winnipeg. Uh, the sense of community here uh, is just fantastic. And that was something I always missed when I went, went away to Toronto. Um, so I, I understand why you'd want to stay put here. Thomas, what do you say to people who say that athletes, professional athletes, are not role models? That comes from the outliers. There are obviously some uh, some rotten apples in the professional athlete spectrum. I mean, you can't deny that. There are some guys who aren't great role models. Uh, but I think the majority of at least football players are the ones I can attest to. Um there are a lot of great guys out there. There really are. And um, some of them are just kind of looking for the right inroad to get involved in charities and help out. Um, but you definitely can't paint them all with the same brush. There are a lot of good guys out there. Yeah, because the reason I ask is, you know, Greg alluded to it earlier, and uh, there is a, a genuine uh, just desire on your part. I can see it in your eyes to, to help these young people, uh, as you talked about a Nelson house and now with a big brothers, big sisters of Winnipeg. And I think it's refreshing to see just how you've embraced your role and not just as a pro athlete, but as an ambassador to the community. So good for you. Thank you. Um, actually just going back along the lines of mentoring, uh, James Yurichuk, longtime, uh, linebacker in the CFL, BC Lions, Toronto Argonauts, um, he was my roommate my rookie year, and he's kind of, you know, brought me along over the last couple of years kind of under his wing. And he was involved in a lot of uh, youth charities and other sorts of community work. And it was actually through him that I began to get involved in Toronto. So definitely have to give him a shout out for that. There are mentors at every level, every layer, every adventure in life. You, you find someone that inspires you to look at things differently. And I've been down that road. And Thomas, it's uh, so great to have you back in Winnipeg, not only in the off season now, in the regular season. So yeah. congratulations on your contract with the Blue Bombers. We look forward to an exciting season from you guys. Look forward to interacting with you and the rest of the guys throughout the year. And Matt, how can people get involved? Um, 
it all starts on the website, bigwinnipeg.com. So I encourage you, uh, take Thomas's challenge. Uh, Thomas is pursuing his MBA. He's a professional football player. He's a big brother, and he's also doing this, this honorary spokesperson. Uh, so if you think you're too busy, um, you know, come talk to Thomas about how busy you are. Um, we really need a few good men. doesn't matter what you do for a living. Um, if you're wanting to make your community better, one kid at a time, uh, volunteer. Matt Diobaldo is the Manager of Development and Marketing with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Winnipeg. And Thomas Miles is a Winnipeg Blue Bomber and the Honorary Spokesperson for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Winnipeg. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. The news is up next. 2.33 and a half on this Tuesday afternoon. Google Maps, I was confessing that in the last iteration of Google Maps, my house is half painted. So I'd like a retake. Do you remember in... High school used to get retakes. Yep. Yeah. I got retakes every year. Never helped. <laughs> I looked just as bad in, in each and every version of my school picture. Didn't matter if it was the first time around or the second time around. I'd like a retake on my uh, Google Maps image of my house this year. We're going to visit with someone who was part of an incredible partnership with Google. And, uh, well, let's bring on Christine Chilton. She joins us now. She is Communication Manager for Nature Conservancy of Canada here in Manitoba. Hi, Christine. Hi, guys. Great to have you with us on the program. And, boy, did you have a heck of an adventure. We did. It, uh, it's been a great project, and uh, now we're super excited to be able to share the results with everybody. So let me just read. We'll just take care of the formal part of this. Sure. Uh, through a partnership with Google, the NCC has mapped several of its na- natural areas for Google Street View. Now that 360-degree views of these special areas of Canada are available online for people to see, the hope is more people... And visitors will actually get out and explore them. So what is Google Trekker and uh, how did you try it out and where did you take it? Yeah, Google Trekker is, as everybody knows, Google uh, Google Maps and uh, as you explained with your house. Right? So we all know the car that drives down the street and you see the camera on the top of the car. So what Google Trekker does is it's actually a backpack a uh, very similar camera on top. It's uh, about 50 pounds, and it has uh, 15 lenses around the globe on the top, and it takes shots every two and a half seconds. So what we did was we went hiking. We hiked a couple of Nature Conservancy Canada properties, and uh, we took uh, the same type of video that you would see on a Google Street View. You can now see through Google Trekker. So what's the, the the motivation to do this? What's the purpose? I think that uh, I think that in Canada in particular and here in Manitoba, we are really, really lucky in that we have so many beautiful natural spaces and you don't have to go far to reach those spaces. But I think we also all know that sometimes we get a little bit disconnected from the natural world around us. So when we look at how do we connect people with conservation and with their natural world, it becomes important as we as we go through to sometimes think outside the box. And this was an excellent opportunity for us to partner with Google. And uh, sometimes you need to bring the properties to the people in order to bring the people out into nature. And it was a great way to do that. So I know you went to Fort Ellis, is that right? It is, yeah. We did Fort Ellis, um, which is uh, St. Lazar. 
area. And then we also did the Elk Glen property, which is out near Riding Mountain. So we chose the western side of the property, uh, southwest side of the property, just because it's such a diverse area. And there's so many spectacular things for people to see that we just wanted to be able to share with them. I love this idea, uh, Christine. I remember the reason why I like it is I remember I was uh, staying in the the White Shell near West Hawk Lake uh, for a weekend, and from where we where our cabin was, we had access to I think five different hiking trails uh, right. in any given direction. So we I think we went on one that was like five kilometers, but just in that little five k walk through the forest and up uh, the side of a cliff, I think we we found this like this little pocket of paradise. So now that now what you're doing with this it seems like you're you're bringing paradise to our computer screens or phones or whatever so that we can get an idea of just what is out there would you agree with that i would definitely agree and i think that uh, the other piece of that is that there's so many different types of paradise so whether you're looking for uh, wetlands whether you're looking for forested areas whether you're looking for different types of prairie Manitoba has all of these wonderful, wonderful ecosystems, and sometimes we just don't realize it because we get so caught in uh, our everyday and just what's around us. What was it like carrying a 50-pound bag around <laughs> while you're uh, sort of tr- or thundering through the wilderness? Um, you know what? It wasn't too bad, actually. We uh, There was a couple of hills that were a little bit tiring, but... Uh, we were pretty safe. We had our uh, we had our bear spray and uh, our bear bells. And while we joked that it would make an excellent video for Google Trekker, <laughs> should we run into wildlife, <laughs> we were also quite happy that uh, we didn't run into such a situation. And just uh, the follow up to that is this backpack. Could you put your own stuff in it, or was the backpack full of camera equipment, and then someone else had to carry your stuff? It's purely camera equipment. It. Uh, it's all set up with because uh, it comes quite high over top of your head, so that the camera is uh, is constantly moving. You don't actually want to catch people in the shots because that sort of takes away from that feeling of being out in the wilderness. So the the backpack, the fifty pound backpack, was just the camera, and then we had somebody in front and somebody behind outside of the shots. I'm working with everything else. I'm just traversing this Elk Glen property right now, yes. and it's it's absolutely cool how you just kind of step along. And, of course, if you've never used Google Street View, this will be even more miraculous for people. And if you have used it, it might not be that big of a deal, but to see where you're taking us is quite spectacular. It's absolutely gorgeous. What time of year did you do this? We did this last July. So uh, it was just a beautiful time of year, and uh, it's interesting to see, you know, how as much as we try to capture everything, it really still only captured one season of Manitoba. Right. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, those are the fun things that we would look forward to uh, continuing to partner with Google on in the future. Now, I don't want to bring in, a, you know, another, uh, you know, another uh, technology company here, but did you have your Fitbit on while you did this? How many steps did you get? (laughs) You know, we did uh, we did several kilometers off of each property. Uh, We did it over two days, so uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, And Nature Conservancy of Canada staff are pretty used to being outdoors and uh, taking the long walk, so everyone was okay. So, is there a a, a sort of a long term plan then to get more? 
areas covered and made uh, or accessible, make them accessible through Google Tracker? At this point, we if you go onto the website, you'll see that we have uh, at least one property from every province, uh, with the exception of PEI, which I believe might be under a bit of a delay due to some technical difficulties they have. So we think that that was a terrific start. We've got at least one uh, Manitoba here. We had two, um, and we would like to continue to move forward with uh, finding new and exciting ways to connect people to their natural world. So what are uh, NCC properties? I'm looking on the website here and it says that, for instance, if you want to go out to the Elk Glen property, that you need to give them a call and uh, dial a toll-free number to get permission to do this. Yeah, because Nature Conservancy, because we manage all of our properties, uh, we have different land management techniques that we use on every property, depending on what it is we're trying to achieve. So at certain times of the year, we might have grazing on a property. We might have uh, prescribed fire happening on a property. I know for the Elk Glen property itself, we recently did a partnership with Parks Canada where we had done a prescribed burn. So those are the type of things that we simply want to make sure that um, to call first and just make sure that we don't have any of those uh, activities happening on the property at the time. This ensures it's safest for everybody and that everybody gets the best possible experience. Well, Christine, thank you so much for telling us about this. Uh, I think this is just incredible. What's the, the website where we can go to to have a look at this? The website is www.natureconservancy.ca slash trekker, T-R-E-K-K-E-R. Christine, I have to say, this Fort Ellis property, oh my gosh, what an incredible view, what a beautiful valley. Maybe just give people the geographic coordinates of that before we let you go. Uh, The Fort Ellis property is located out near St. Lazar, Manitoba, and uh, it is a stunning piece of land that used to host the historic uh, Fort Ellis. All right, Christine Chilton, thank you so much. Greg, uh, is is thoroughly ensconced in the website. (laughs) I'm sure you can tell he's quite heavily distracted. Uh, So, Christine, thank you so much. Christine is the communications manager of the Nature Conservancy of Canada for the Manitoba region. So I guess what is the, the question to ask here, Greg? What area... Is there, a, is there a little pocket of paradise that you would like to see maybe mapped out so that others can see? Yes. Although maybe, <laughs> as maybe I think not. about that, maybe you don't want your little pocket of paradise mapped out for others to see. But maybe there's an area that you have always wondered, man, why doesn't this get more attention? Yes, I think that's the perfect question. What is your sort of hidden jewel of Manitoba, a place that we can go, that we can all go and enjoy that might be under appreciated. Give us a text or a call at 204-780-6868. That number again, 204-780-6868. You can call, you can text, you can email brett at cjob.com. You can email gmac at cjob.com. Would love to hear your ideas on this because I think, you know, whenever we talk about the subject of going on vacation, often the first thought we have is leaving the country, is fleeing the country, or at the very least, fleeing the province. But there's so many great things to do right here in Manitoba, so many wonderful things to see, and we would love your suggestions because there has got to be something you know that not a whole lot of people know about and that maybe you want people to know about it. 204-780-6868 is the number to call or text. Your forecast is up next. Craig Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. 
Hope you're having a fantastic Tuesday. So we uh, head towards the May long weekend. I know in Ontario and other places, they call it the May 2-4 yeah. weekend. I had never warmed up to that. When, what, is that because you go out and you buy a 2-4? Yeah, and it's usually around May 24th. Okay. Mm. Buy a 2-4 on Yeah, May. the May 2-4 week. I've never, ever warmed up to that, even when I lived out west. Well, that does, it's just May long. Well, it does, that doesn't sound like enough to get you through the long weekend anyway. I'd get you through Friday evening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's how they do it in Ontario, <laughs> but in Manitoba, you need yeah, a lot more than that. That's not going to work. That's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> there are no months with 48 in them, so... <laughs> Or 60 <laughs> in terms of ounces, a 60, a 60 pounder or four. Yeah. You can get a 60 pounder. Right? Well, they call it a 60 pounder. I, but it's 66 ounces, right? No, it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's around 60. Is it? And the, Cause you, yeah, you, people used to, or I used to call it a 66, but I think in terms of fluid ounces, well, what is it? 1.14 liters? Something no, that, like no, that. No, that's the. That's, the oh yeah, that's a 40. So 1.75 liters. Oh to, geez, here we go. We're doing math with the aid of a computer. So <laughs> don't anybody. It's 59 US fluid ounces. All right, 59. So 59.17454. Mm. Repeating, of course, I've, I don't know. 59 uh, fluid ounces of, of the good stuff. <laughs> How about a Texas Mickey? Have you ever won one of those? I have at the not. Social? I have not. Ah, uh, me neither. The, the Such bottle a darn of perfume, shame as they used to have to call it. <laughs> That's right. And you had to do the big exchange. We'll meet you in the parking lot. That's because, right. Because yeah, because at 1.30, the liquor inspector's still there, and they don't know what you're really auctioning off. Oh yes, I of don't course. know who everybody was fooling. <laughs> <laughs> fooling absolutely nobody. Yeah, they, well, at least they, they made it so that you can do it. Now, what I think most people just give away the gift card now, don't they? Oh, yeah, well. <sighs> at least for the socials? Oh. I would. I, I, I think that, that, that having that big novelty-sized bottle, just having that would be uh, that more would, enticing. I think that's very enticing. I was making those funny noises. I know I make funny noises all the time, but I remember the time I dropped a 40-ounce bottle. Of Crown Royal in the parking lot in Boys of Vane the weekend of my, I think it was my stepdad's 50th birthday. Mm. Yeah. That's a tragedy. Uh, that was. We had, uh, we had a little moment of silence there <laughs> before we moved on and swept up the glass. And unfortunately, I didn't have any straws in the car. Otherwise, I might have <laughs> got down on the ground and had a little prayer session. But <laughs> just lick, back like just licking, licking the ground. The concrete. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, was it an was just the regular stuff or was it an expensive it was, it was, one? It was Crown, so it was about probably about yeah. forty bucks. Yeah, it was. Mm. Mm. That is sad. Well, okay. As far as the Texas Mickey's go, what can you get? Usually, when I I'm just trying to picture the the Grant Park location is usually where I go, and I can see the the spot where they have them all stacked. So well, I want to think. I want to say Bacardi yeah, for there's sure. Always Bacardi White, White Rum. It's usually Grey Goose, Grey Goose Vodka, I think. Southern Comfort. Southern Comfort, wow. Yeah, I think so. Or is it, is it Jack? Maybe it's Jack. It might be it Jack. Might, I think it might be Jack Daniels. Are we even allowed to talk about alcohol on the air with a name like that? We were talking about beer this morning. What if, Of course we can. Yeah. I, I was just making sure we weren't breaking any CRTC rules by talking about alcohol at 2.52 on a Tuesday afternoon. We're halfway to the lake already, aren't we, Brett? <laughs> That's right. You're done early this week, so you'll be, uh, you'll be finished and free and clear by 1 p.m. Oh, on yeah, Friday afternoon. Oh, yeah, my chore list just tripled because I'm not golfing on Friday now. But uh, other than that, yeah, you're right. Go by yourself. Go golfing by myself? Yeah. Really? 
I golf by I've myself. I've never done that. It's fun. Is it really? Yeah. But oftentimes, too, you get paired up if you yeah, want to go golfing. Like, one of the, I, I've I don't like most... people enough to get paired up with somebody that I don't know. <laughs> Come on. You talk to everybody. <laughs> Everybody's look, Greg's friend. No, I don't know. One of the most interesting, uh, some of the most interesting people I've ever met were, I were, were guys who just showed up to go golfing once. So I went to Windsor Park with a friend, and we got paired up with this guy who, and it was hot. And Wendy, we'll get to you in a moment. I'll just quickly tell the story. It was a hot day, but this guy's wearing a cowboy hat. He's wearing no, no, it wasn't a cowboy hat, but it was a it was a wide brimmed. Uh, I can't remember what the, the the style of hat was, but he's wearing blue jeans, like tight. He was basically a cowboy. He was wearing blue jeans and cowboy boots, and he putted like uh, like a child throws a bowling ball with two hands like between his legs. And he he was like drilling putts from all over the green. Of course green. he was. It was. Of course he was. So the point is, you meet some interesting people when you go to the golf course. This by guy yourself. sounds pr- plenty interesting. I'll give you that. Let's see what Wendy has to say at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Hello there, Wendy. What's up? Uh, I cried when I dropped my forty ounce of Crown Royal for my husband's birthday. Oh, Wendy, <laughs> we're this kindred is what spirits. Happened. The bag was weak. I dropped it in the parking lot. Out, right in front of the LC in their parking lot. Long as the cap and the lid is on there, they gave me another one. They are pretty awesome there. I have to give them that. I, but I do have a complaint. If they're listening, their paper bags. Are, that's what happened. They're not it as good right as they through. used to be. They're not. How long ago was this, Wendy? Uh, this was uh, two summers ago. Yeah, they have. I think they've changed suppliers or something because yeah. those bags are not as good as they used to be. They used to be rock solid. They they are not very good. Exactly. But they did, uh, and she told me, no, if it goes through the bag like that and breaks, when the cap is on there, uh, well, you gather up the glass, and I mean, like you said, no straws available at that time, so always (laughs) keep a box in the car. And uh, then what she said is, she says, no, we send the cap back, and they get a full one sent back to them. Beautiful. Thank you, Wendy. We appreciate that advice. I just thought I'd share that with you. I think that's the best advice I've received all day, and I've received plenty of it on and off the air. Thank you so much, Wendy. Have a great time. On the topic, uh, beer. I know you like beer. Where did you hear that? That's just I don't a know. Rumor Little birdie point. told me your oh. buddy. <laughs> now, when beer goes up, how come the price of our empties aren't going up? Well, that's an interesting one, Wendy. Well, I guess we get back what we give them, right? So if it's yeah, a ten cent deposit, it, it's a the wash. water bill goes up when we have the beer. <laughs> that's get true. It? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get so it. Why aren't we getting more back on our, our deposit? Well, because they only give back what you give, right? So yeah. if you give a 10 cent deposit, that's what you get back. It's a wash. Wendy. There's no conspiracy, I promise, Wendy. Thank you for your phone call. I, you know what, Greg, whenever I go to the, 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 usually what happens, it's a one-two punch. I'll go, if I'm buying a bottle, I'll go into the LC at Grant Park, and then I'll go into the co-op to buy some mix. I carry that thing like I'm a running back with a football. That thing gets tucked into my arm. Nice. And I hold it so nice. You know, it's, it's there. It's not... It's not coming loose. And then I walk up to the <laughs> to the cashier and I put down my bottle of Diet Pop and she says, ah, I'm, I'll be joining you in a half hour. I'm almost done. <laughs> I think they see that a lot to that yeah, particular co-op. Yeah, coping mechanisms going on there for sure. It is coming up to 3 o'clock on 680 CJOB. Je m'appelle Greg. That is Brett. Bonjour. How would I, how would I say that? How would I introduce? Uh, this is Brett en français. Uh 
Il est Brett, I guess. Boy, that was really tough. Il est Brett. <laughs> Il est Brett. I Il est Brett. <laughs> Je m'appelle Greg. Kalua Till, Brett McGarry. Time is it? Okay. Oh, <laughs> I thought you said Kalua Till. I was yeah, still. Yeah, I did. I'm st- oh, okay. I did. Isn't that how you say it? Kalua Till? I was thinking of Kalua. Oh, oh of I'm course still, you were. I'm still stuck in the booze conversation from the last half hour. 308s or our listeners. Holy crow. The text messages at 7806868. I want to cry all these stories of woe and, and, and soldiers down. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Look we've had a this. few. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of our listeners said, I think it was Chris, says, uh, most times purchases are double bagged. I missed the white LC plastic bags. Very strong. Maybe they can bring back uh, liquor prices or bring down liquor prices by buying better bags, thus not not wasting two bags for a single purchase. Well, and, and yeah, and to be fair, I think the if you buy the single bottle, they only use the one bag. But often if I go in there and say I'm, I'm getting two bottles or I'm buying a, beer, a bottle and some beer or whatever, they'll, they'll put... Uh, the single bottle in a bag, and then that goes in a bigger bag. Yeah, so the, there's I, often the, the double bag. They approach, do the, they do uh, they do good work there, uh, but I I'm I contend quite strongly that those paper bags are not as good as they used to be. We also talked just very quickly about Texas Mickey's, and I, how could I forget about this? You can get Canadian Club with uh, the plastic plunger. This is a text message. Oh yeah, the plastic plunger that fits on top of the bottle. That's Thank right. You. It makes an excellent piggy bank once you've uh, consumed it. So I hear. Someone else says they won a three liter of Smirnoff vodka at a social on the weekend. First time ever winning something at a social. Congratulations. Enjoy that Texas Mickey. We were expecting to hear from our friends at the Royal Canadian Mounted Police as this is uh, Canada Road Safety Week. 560 people are dead because of road collisions in Manitoba in the last five years. And the Manitoba RCMP don't want any more families suffering from preventable tragedies. And of course, uh, very timely conversation with May long weekend coming up. We just spent several minutes talking about uh, alcohol consumption, the fun side and some of the tragedy that that goes along it in a fun sense. But there is genuine tragedy on the roads of Manitoba every single day because people do not follow drinking and driving laws. Yeah, drinking and driving, uh, distracted driving. It's been a, last year in particular was a, a, a problematic year on the roads on Manitoba's highways. So uh, I think it's great that the Mounties are gearing up, particularly long weekends, because the long weekends often, I mean, anybody with a cottage will regularly go out, but long weekends often are where people like me might get out to a cottage. I typically will make my way into cottage country once or twice a year, and it's almost always on a long weekend. So uh, we'll just read uh, part of this release from uh, RCMP. Officers are gearing up for Canada Road Safety Week. It started on the 16th. It'll run through until the 22nd. And we will have uh, more cars on the road and more officers on duty focusing solely on traffic enforcement. Our officers will be on the lookout for all unsafe driving practices with a focus on impaired driving, seatbelt and child restraint use, distracted driving and speed along with aggressive driving. Impaired driving still remains the single largest factor for traffic deaths in rural Manitoba. Impaired driving was a factor in 41% of fatal collisions in Manitoba in the last five years. So that means roughly 230 deaths could have been completely prevented by people choosing not 
to drive impaired. The majority of alcohol-related crashes occur during the summer months. More than 80% of alcohol-related crashes are single-vehicle collisions, and the majority involve male drivers. The RCMP charges more than 1,500 people in Manitoba each year with impaired driving under the criminal code. However, people continue to drive impaired, which means we, as the, this is from the RCMP, which means we, the RCMP, will continue to enhance our enforcement to catch them before they take a life. This is a startling statistic. In 46% of fatal collisions, not counting pedestrian collisions, the deceased was either unbuckled or not wearing a helmet. 75% of people who are ejected from their vehicle die. A police officer had to go knock on the door and tell their family's life is changed forever. Seatbelts and helmets save lives, period. Excess speed or driving too fast for road conditions was a factor in 51% of fatal crashes in the last five years. So just over half related to speeding or driving too fast for the road conditions. How fast a vehicle is traveling is directly related to the force of the impact and the severity of the injuries. So if you increase your speed, your braking distance increases exponentially. In short, the faster you drive, the harder it is to stop. And distracted driving, as we know, is another leading cause of fatalities on Manitoba roadways. Choosing to focus on the road could save your life. And Canada Road Safety Week is an annual effort by the Canadian Police Services from across Canada to increase enforcement around high-risk driving behaviours. And we need to work together. Again, this is a news release from the RCMP. We need to work together to show these behaviours will not be tolerated. Let's stop any further tragedies by making smart choices. And it just makes me think, as I read this, I remember I was... I was driving out to see my friends in Sandy Hook, and it was a Friday night, and I wanted to get out. There was a burger stand out there between Winnipeg Beach and Sandy Hook called Salty's, and I wanted to get there before 10 o'clock because I knew that they closed at 10 o'clock, so I think I was doing, I don't know, 140 up highway, is it 8? 8 is McPhillips? 8 is McPhillips. Okay, yeah. Uh, No, 9 is McPhillips. 9 is McPhillips, 8 is Main Street. Nope. Nine. <laughs> the other way. Nine is Main Street. Eight is McPhillips. Okay. I always get that mixed up. Yeah, because seven, I always got to go from seven, which is Route 90. Seven, eight, nine. Okay. Yeah, that's there. There you go. Thank you, Jeff Forte and Master, Con- and Master Control for pointing us in the right direction. So, yeah, it's a Friday night. I'm, I'd gotten off work, I don't know, seven or eight o'clock, and I'm zooming out to the lake. And it was this was not a long week, and it was a random weekend, and there was no traffic on the road. So, I was just barreling down the highway. And uh, nothing happened. No one, I mean, I didn't get caught and no one got hurt. And I'm certainly not endorsing speeding. But as I think back to that, which was probably 15 years ago now. uh, What a moron you were? Yeah. There's no, 140? I mean, that's not, I mean, by comparison, I, I know that's not nearly as fast as I could have been going. But there's, it's 40 kilometers over the speed limit. That's 40%. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's dumb. Don't do it. Don't do it. Get Salties the next day. 3.15 on 680 CJOB. Salties is good. It is good. Oh, it's good. Now I'm really hungry. Trafficking with it together is next. You know what I found out this afternoon? What's that? We're on TV. Oh, that's right. We ha- I always forget there's this camera here. And we have at least one person that watches our show regularly oh. on the TNV. 
or the TV vision, television, <laughs> or the closed circuit monitor. I'm waving to our good friend Mike Conkin right now. I'm waving too. And uh, yeah, apparently he sits at his desk and <laughs> watches our show as he listens to it. He's the only person on the planet that has that p- privilege or... What would be the opposite of privilege? <laughs> Obligation? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the arduous task, perhaps? Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, hi, Mike. How are you doing? I know you're probably going to uh, take and make an appearance with Julie and Richard this afternoon between 4 and 7 on the news. And uh, we're getting tons of text messages this afternoon. Uh, people wanting to win those Blue Bomber season tickets. I think Shadow's giving away another set at 7.10 on Friday morning. Um, it's indefensible if you don't get your text in at 780-6868 if you'd like to get your hands on some Blue Bomber season tickets. Are we allowed to give away that word more than once a day? Um, I, well, if you in were... In my defense, I did not read the memo about that, so, um... Yeah, well, and hey, listen, if, if someone t- comes to rake you over the coals, I will jump to your defense... I appreciate you doing that. If the hint isn't obvious, it's defense. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're breaking some rules right now, who cares? We break them every afternoon on Mackling and McGarry, where listeners come to become winners. And lots of people want these tickets. So I'm really excited to see just how many people are wanting that because there's been conversation about whether or not people are eh, are people not supporting the bombers, but looking at what I'm seeing here, man, there are a lot of people just waiting to get ticket their hands on bomber tickets. I have been vocal over the last five years. I've equated my relationship with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as an on-again, off-again romance. And I think when we left off last year, we were just getting ready to, to do a weekend trip together just to see if maybe, just maybe we could save this thing. And it went pretty well. So I'll be, um, you know, I'll be asking her out uh, come come May. <laughs> Okay. We're going to go steady again, I think. Well, and especially after to meeting one of the young men playing for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers today, Thomas Miles. In case you missed our conversation at 2 o'clock, between 2 and 2.30, uh, we had Thomas Miles in studio, who is the honorary spokesperson for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Winnipeg, and he is issuing a challenge to to volunteer. He himself is now a big brother. To He's a big guy. Would you say he's 6'1", he, t- he told me he's a little bigger than that right now, and I suggested on the way out that it's odd how differently 61230 looks on his body than it does on mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Th- M- Thomas Miles, he's he's like a, a Hulk. He's, he's, he's top heavy, for yeah, sure, He's right? a big boy, and he tells us that he's a big brother for a 15-year-old who's six foot six and 240 pounds. Yeah, big fella. So anyway, he's uh, he is a big brother. He's their honorary spokesperson. He's of course a Winnipeg Blue Bomber, and he's going for his MBA. So he is a busy guy, and he's found time to do it. So he is issuing the challenge to you to volunteer because there are over one hundred kids waiting for a big brother or sister. So if you want to hear that conversation and just he- and hear how cool this Thomas Miles is and how genuine he is, you can go to cjob.com and listen on demand, or you can just subscribe to the Mackling and McGarry podcast. I'll have that out by about 4.45, 5 o'clock this afternoon. Do you think there's anybody that actually listens to this a second time around? 
Uh, well, just in the off chance that perhaps you're just tuning in right now. Yes. And you want to hear the conversation from earlier. Okay, because I would never presume for an instant that anybody would want to listen to this a second time around. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe we'd be pleasantly surprised if we looked up the statistics on that. No. Just don't do it. No, I, I don't, don't look just, at the stats. Let's just have this fantasy. <laughs> we'll just go with the, go with the fantasy. Uh, we're going to have a quick look at your forecast up next. As Brett mentioned in his global news at the bottom of the hour, some sad news from Assiniboine Park Zoo. It is with heavy hearts that we announce the passing of Kendra, the beloved matriarch Amur Tiger at Assiniboine Park Zoo. Over the last one to two years, Kendra developed progressive age-related arthritis. With some assistance and vet- veterinary care, she has managed pretty well and was still comfortable to get the rest of the story we have with us. Dr. Chris Enright, he is head veterinary uh, services at Assiniboine Park Zoo. And uh, Dr. Enright, thanks for taking some time on what is, I'm sure, a decidedly difficult day, the relationship uh, between uh, staff at the zoo, uh, yourself included, and the animals has to be a very powerful one. Absolutely it is, and thanks for having me. Uh, Kendra's been been at the zoo for 10 years, and there, there's a lot of connections. She was a real personable tiger, and staff, volunteers, and, and visitors have really all grown to love her. How many cubs have uh, come from Kendra? Uh, at our zoo, she had one litter, uh, and she had two cubs in that litter, and she did have a litter prior to coming to us, and I'm unsure how many cubs she had at that one. Almost uh, exactly 10 years, came to the zoo May 14th, 2007, and so a decade is a long time and uh, enough time to build a relationship, as you mentioned, not only with staff, but with visitors to the zoo. Kendra, uh, as are all her relatives that live at the zoo, relatives and otherwise, are abs- like just a gorgeous animal. They, they really are. They're, they're an incredible animal. They're a powerful animal. These these cats get up to 200 kilos in size. They're they're just incredible. How do you diagnose? Uh, because I understand that uh, she died uh, or she was suffering from arthritis. How do you diagnose arthritis in a tiger? Well, that's a great question, and we really lean heavily on our zookeepers who work with the animals day in, day out, and are really able to pick up on the first subtle cues. Maybe they're maybe they're not rising as quickly from laying down, or maybe they're not quite as playful as they used to be. And those are the sort of things that we start thinking about as, as an animal starts to become geriatric is, well, maybe there's something underlying. In the case of Kendra, um, it, it was pretty clear as time went on that uh, she was starting to get stiff and sore in some of her joints and some of her legs. Uh, so we really worked on pain control and anti-inflammatories and treatments to, to keep her comfortable as as things went on with her. Dr. Enright, some people will ask the question, uh, and I'll ask it to you with uh, unabashedly. Uh, some will wonder if out loud if this has to do with her being uh, constrained to uh, her enclosure, that she would develop arthritis like this. Well, it, it's a fair question. Um, and, and the short answer is really no. Um, it, it it really developed in her because she was 18. Well, it would have started around 16 and a half years of age for her, which is which is a geriatric tiger. Uh, it, it's really more age related than environmental related. How long do tigers typically live? In in a zoo and professional care uh, with good nutrition, uh, tigers can live 
into their teens, and typically mid-teens, 17, 18 is, is expected. Uh, the odd exceptional tiger will go to 20 or somewhere in that range, um, but that's in captivity. Uh, in the wild where, as things like arthritis might start to set in, that tiger is going to be less able to hunt wild boar or deer or things that the, that tiger would need to, to eat in the wild. Uh, and as a result, they, they wouldn't survive as, as long. Uh, is it, it just strikes me almost as uh, unusual that regardless of the size of a cat, you know, whether it's a house cat or a, a, a giant beast like a tiger, that they live into their mid to late teens. Yeah, and, and the house cat's a great example where oh, a lot of pet cats do live into their mid to late teens, and a lot of pet cats do start getting stiff and sore as they get older. Um, so it, it's it's really case in point with something like a tiger where the lifespan's fairly similar, and as she started getting older, she she had that much more weight on those joints, and we needed to keep her comfortable. Dr. Chris Enright is head of veterinary services at Assiniboine Park Zoo, kind enough to join us on this uh, on the somber day as we uh, remember Kendra, the Amur tiger. Is an Amur tiger the same as a Siberian tiger, Dr. Enright? That's right. Uh, named for sort of the region of Russia from from which they range, uh, their their natural range is Russia into China and North Korea. Uh, they're they're a cold weather tiger, perfectly suited to Winnipeg. Now, what about the white tigers? What what are they called? Uh, they're a particular um, line of Bengal tigers. Uh, so Bengal tigers are a different subspecies of tiger that comes from in and around India, and the white coloration is a mutation that occurred um, that some places have selectively bred for in order to have those white tigers. Okay, that's that's fascinating stuff. Of course, the tiger conversation was rampant in the newsroom this morning on the news of Kendra's passing. So what does this mean for the overall program at the zoo and the future of this type of animal being available to be on display and for breeding purposes, is this uh, something that you were expecting? And and does this throw a wrench in the entire plan? With, with you know, without sounding uh, callous in any way at all towards oh, the loss no. of Kendra. Um, well, it's to some extent we we know every animal in our zoo is going to uh, get older, and we we do have another three tigers, and right now that's 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 our plan is is to stick to those three as sort of their genetic number comes up in that captive breeding pool, they may or may not, may not get recommendations uh, for breeding or getting sent elsewhere for breeding. Uh, but for now, we're, we're going to keep managing our three tigers, uh, where we have two young adult males together and an adult female held separately. And uh, we'll, we'll be content with our tiger program with those three. Has anybody working at the zoo ever been hurt uh, working with these tigers? Uh, to the best of my knowledge, we, we haven't had anyone hurt working with tigers. We do have lots of protocols uh, for how we comport ourselves behind the scenes. Nobody's having direct contact with, with our tigers. Our keepers have great relationships, but the tiger's still a big, dangerous animal, and, and there's always a fence between them and us. Dr. Enright, thank you for this. And once again, our condolences go out to you and the staff at the zoo. Uh, I know what it's like when you lose a pet. I can only imagine what it would be like uh, to lose someone that you work so closely with and were so integral in their care. So uh, thank you for the work that you do as well.
Thank you. I appreciate that. Dr. Chris Enright is head veterinary services at Assiniboine Park Zoo talking about Kendra. Uh, matriarch tiger at the Winnipeg Zoo, Amour tiger as you uh, called it, Greg. And uh, she was 18 years old and uh, she was suffering from age-related arthritis. Uh, so she uh, was euthanized. It is 346. That means we're going to have a look at traffic, weather, and we'll hear from Julian Richard. All up next. Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, joined by Julie Buckingham and Richard Cloutier. And we don't want to get a bad reputation with our <laughs> listeners here in terms of our About obsession <laughs> surrounding a certain beverage that oh. intoxicates us from time to time. Yes. But you have a story about making sure that you are not a victim. of. Well, I was a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to a distillery in Northern Ireland, Bushmills. Oh, my. And you can buy Bushmills here in Canada, but we actually went there and purchased a bottle of whiskey that you can only buy at the distillery. It was a honey whiskey. Mm. So I took upon the task of returning the bottle to Canada and put it in my son's suitcase. And we had to go from Northern Ireland through Newark, through Chicago. And he's about 13 at the time. And he says, I just saw my suitcase go on the plane. This is in Chicago. Mom, they weren't very gentle with it. That booze is broken. That it's broken. I said, no, it's not. I wrapped it up really well, not knowing that he is a purveyor of rocks. And there were numerous rocks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, we arrived. Let's just say I arrived in Winnipeg and they said, uh, do you have any alcohol to declare? And I said, not anymore. Mm-hmm. We could smell the bag coming before we actually oh, claimed no. it. And I actually don't think it was the rocks. The bottom of the it was a square bottle. The whole bottom blew out. It was almost sheared off completely. O-R-D, where um, luggage goes to die or disappear. <laughs> That's pretty much right. Yeah. Chicago O'Hare. Yes. Tough town. Um, Did not wring out the child's clothes to save the whiskey, but lesson learned. (laughs) From now on, I use use flip-flops. If you put flip-flops around the bottle and tape them, it works very well. You're very committed to this, Julie. Wow. (laughs) You have a system for importing your alcohol. (laughs) I'm very proud of you. Julie's booze tips coming up at 445. (laughs) I got my honey rum back from the Canary Islands in one piece, and that you you can't get here. You like the honey, eh? It's just, I don't know why it happened that... Just a coincidence. Yes. What's coming up in the show, Rich? Uh, We also have to talk about Mike Conkin and his tweets. You see his tweets? Yeah, yeah. We, we've been waiting we to talking him about from it. time to time this afternoon. Right. I don't really think he's there just to, brace, to burst your he bubble says just a that little bit. This is, that he watches our show, okay. so we're right. taking his word for it. Okay. Uh, the geese and the perimeter highway, and what do you think about it? Something else that we've been talking about here. Uh, Lorraine Nickel from the Global Newsroom will join us, and she's been talking to folks about that in the RCMP. And uh, Rob Olson of the Manitoba Wildlife Federation will also weigh in following the 4 o'clock news. Later in the 4 o'clock hour, the Transportation Minister, uh, Mark Garneau, a former astronaut, will join us live from Ottawa to talk about uh, the new Passenger Bill of Rights and some of the other changes that they're introducing today to the transportation system, not only on the railway side, but on the air carrier side, where now an international firm can own up to 49% of a Canadian airline. That's up from 25%. And what he expects that's going to do as far as uh, the number of air carriers here in Canada, we may just see more competition as a result of that. Les billets pour le FAF, 
Whoa. Okay. What she said. And uh, Faf, the show. And then we also <laughs> have tickets for Tim and Faith as well. Oh, Richard Cloutier, Julie Buckingham, thank you so much. The news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Quick traffic note here. We've got a crash on eastbound Marion at Braemar, so keep your eyes open for that. He's Greg Mackling. I'm Brett McGarry, Jeff Fortier in Master Control. Big smile on his face as always. And thank you to lis- for listening to Mackling McGarry on 680 CJOB.